Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, so we're, we're going to talk, um, we're going to read a little bit of this. We're not going to get as far as you might think today. Um, so let's read it. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. All right, so Matthew, we've talked about this before, but Matthew is very methodical in his unfolding of the story of Jesus. Um, With the baptism of Jesus, we see Jesus accepting his task. Uh, Then he's tempted in the wilderness, um, and he shows that he's worthy of the task, and he'll he'll be obedient to God in the way that God wants him to do it. Um, in the servant, Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus' words of wisdom, kind of like uh, what his ministry is going to be about. And then uh, Matthew begins to talk about his deeds to demonstrate his power. Um, and then after that, we begin to see this growing opposition to Jesus. And now we begin to look at the disciples in their training. Notice that they had to know the words of Jesus. They had to hear the, not just the Sermon on the Mount, but his words that he was teaching to them. They had to have his words instilled in their heart before they were sent out to minister. They had to know who Jesus was and what he wanted and where his heart was before they could go share his heart with the people. And once they know Jesus, they have like a greater knowledge of the gospel. Um, and after they've seen his wonder-working power, you know, they have to see him do these things to believe that he can delegate that power to them, and so then he gives them the, the same authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal sickness and disease, and then sends them out. And we're told the name of the 12 disciples, most likely, uh, not most likely, he chooses 12 because there's 12 tribes of Israel. Can anyone name the 12 disciples at the top of their head? Cool. All right. So, I mean, it gets confusing. So, and I'll tell you why it gets confusing in a little bit. One, their names are weird. Okay, granted. All right, Simon, who's called Peter. Uh, and I'm just going off the top of my head now. It's not listed. <laughs> Andrew, I believe there's James and John, right? And then Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas. Also, uh, I think he's known as Didymus sometimes, right? Um, Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who was to betray Jesus. We'll add that because everyone else does. Um, 
And these disciples are not just listed in Matthew. They're listed in Mark and Luke and Acts. And if you've ever taken them, it's kind of hard with, with the Bible, if you're, if, and set them side by side, there's a few differences. Um, and we'll talk about the similarities and differences. Um, so first of all, Peter is always listed first, right? Always listed first. Guess who's listed last every time? It, Judas. And um, he's not even listed in Acts. Um, so Matthew and Luke, in their listing, they keep the brothers together, Peter and Andrew, James and John. But Mark and in Acts, they have Peter, James, and John listed first. And that's because they were the three closest to Jesus. When Jesus went off uh, to do the miracle, we saw it um, when he raised the girl from the dead, he took Peter, James, and John with him. So um, in, what is it, Mark and Acts, did I say? Um, that's how that's listed. Um, so, and then, um, and I got totally lost because I always leave my page. Um, so another difference you can see in Matthew and Mark, so there's someone named Thaddeus listed. But in Luke and Acts, there's no Thaddeus listed, but another man by the name of Judas, and it says brother or son of James. Okay, so Thaddeus sometimes or Judas sometimes. Could you think of a reason Thaddeus might want to go by something else than Judas, okay? Thaddeus means, means beloved. And so the thought here is that he was called Judas the beloved, and then they just shortened it to the beloved because he didn't want to be known as Judas. They're like, oh, hi, I'm one of the disciples. I'm Judas. Uh, Judas! You know, like, I, I wouldn't want to have that name on me either. So um, Thaddeus is Judas, also in Matthew and Mark, uh, but not Judas Iscariot. Let's not get confused. Is everybody clear on that? We're all clear? Don't go saying, I learned at the well, Thaddeus is Judas Iscariot. Okay. In Matthew and Mark, Simon uh, the Zealot, in the, uh, it can be listed as Simon the Cananean. Um, but in the other books, he's listed as Simon the Zealot. So the word Cananean is not Canaanite. It's not the same thing, because when you think uh, Simon the Cananean, you might think, oh, he comes from Canaan, but that would have been like a pagan Gentile. The word Cananean is the Aramaic form of the word zealot. So it's saying the same thing, Simon the zealot. Um, and zealots uh, were like extreme nationals. They strongly looked to uphold the Jewish traditions and the religion, and they were basically one of the primary causes of the Jewish war in which Rome sacked Jerusalem. Um, they're not quite as influential in Jesus' time, but they were very zealous. They were very zealous. Uh, so they were prepared to go to any length to protect um, the Jewish customs and the Jewish religion, like assassinations. They would kind of keep uh, small knives and like openly stab people or secretly stab people, right? Um, Romans, uh, just to kind of, that's how they, they were willing to do anything to shake off Rome and so, someone like Simon the Zealot, sitting next to someone like Matthew, who collected taxes for Rome, Matthew might have ended up with a knife in his side, had it not been for Jesus changing their lives and bringing them together. Okay, so Jesus brought together all these people from different backgrounds, different homes, different professions, different lives, and he brought them together according to his purpose. And this is what the church should look like. It should not look the same. Should people, people from all walks of life, people with different personalities, right? Um, different professions, 
extreme opposites in some cases, but all called together according to this purpose, to be trained up in the words of Jesus and then sent out on mission. And so Jesus begins to reveal his mission to them, and he sends them out with some instructions. Okay, and these are the instructions that he gives them. Do not go among the Gentiles or any of the Samaritan towns. You are only to go to the lost sheep of Israel. And he primarily keeps them in Galilee. Okay, you are to proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. You're to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and to drive out demons. But you are to do these things freely. They're not to, to charge anything for this. They're to freely give to all, not just withhold some of the blessing they've been given. They're not just supposed to go to the highly favored, but they are to go to all the lost sheep of Israel. They are not to take any money with them or any extra clothes, any extra possessions like you would take when going on a trip. He wanted to, for them to solely rely on him, Okay. And they are to find a worthy person and stay with them until they leave the town. They're supposed to stay with that person until they leave the town. And if any town will not listen, they are to leave the town and shake the dust off their feet, for it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for that town. So let's work through these instructions, why Jesus might have given them, if they still apply today. Um, and we'll go from the easier, more obvious instructions to the ones we may not understand or take with, issue with, because that's what Christians nowadays do. We, when we take issue with some of the things in the Bible, because we aren't as smart as we think we are. Um, so it says, so they are to proclaim the message that the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay, this has been, this is a staple in the messaging that Jesus has brought. The messianic age is upon them. It's time. The prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus. Notice this is not, when he's saying, going out, he's sending these people out to share the gospel, right, like we're doing now. But the gospel looks a little different because we go out, when we're talking to people about Jesus, what are we talking about? He died for your sins. Jesus is the Son of God. He died for your sins. He came to life again. By his blood, you're forgiven. You're washed white as snow. I mean, that's what we're preaching and telling people. You can be forgiven. You can be made new. That's not the message they're giving because that hasn't happened yet. So the gospel looks a little bit different. What Jesus is telling them to go say is a little different. But in many ways, it's the same. Because they're saying the Son of God is here, he's come to earth, and you can make a decision to follow him or not to follow him. He has some teachings, and you can make a decision to go hear what he has to say and follow his teachings or not. You can reject him. And that's basically the same message we have today. You can accept Jesus, and you can accept his forgiveness, or you can reject him. And the Jews have had this decision their whole life, right? God's given them the law, and God said, you can follow me, or you can follow those other gods. I mean, God doesn't say that, but when they follow the other gods, then, then he, he pulls back, and they face some consequences for that. So over and over again, they face this decision. Are we going to follow God, or are we not going to follow God? And if you think about it, when we're, when we're thinking about the gospel and how we're talking about forgiveness— mostly in the gospel. The gospel is the same message in that we reject Jesus or we accept Jesus. And this forgiveness isn't the main thing. It's but a part of who God is. God's forgiveness that we receive and Jesus dying on the cross is just God being good. It's just, it's not, it's like 
part of his character. It's the fruit of his character, if you will. And we can either accept him or reject him. We choose to follow God or we choose to reject God. That's, that's what it is, basically. We follow him or we don't. We love him or we don't. We love his law or we do not. And so this gospel message they're proclaiming may seem a little bit different, but at its heart, it's the same. God has sent his son, prophecies fulfilled, accept him or reject him. And as they proclaim this message, they're to go around healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing those who have leprosy, and driving out demons. They're given power and authority to do the same thing that Jesus was doing. And this is but a taste of what, when the Holy Spirit will fall on all of them at Pentecost. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, they have this same power and authority that's delegated to us. Okay, back in the Old Testament, it was just one man, it was just the prophet. The prophet could hear from God. The prophet could do these things. Elijah did it. Elisha did it. And then Jesus, dele- Jesus does it, delegates the power to 12. And then when the Holy Spirit falls, dedicate, delegates that power to all of us. And this is still a, a, a living command as we share the gospel. We are to pray for those who are sick. We are to lay hands. I mean, you see these things continue in the New Testament when it's telling how a church should work. It says if someone is sick, you pray on them. You pray for their healing. You pray on them. You stand on them and you pray. Uh, you, you pray for them, okay? And you stomp out. It, it's, a, it's a living command. It's a, a permanent command. And as they're proclaiming who Jesus is, these works they're doing are the evidence to the people of Israel that Jesus is who he says he is. And the inclusion of healing lepers tells us that these gifts are not to just be used for the wealthy and powerful because lepers were the utmost of the outcasts. And he's saying, you are to go to the outcasts. You are to go to the dirty. You are to go to the ones who cannot come into town. You are to heal the lepers. Specifically says it so that they know everyone. Go to everyone. From the highest to the lowest, okay? But as they're going and doing these miracles, performing these miracles, they are to be there to do it without charging for it. Um, this was a temporary command, and now you can. No, I'm just kidding. Um, permanent command still. So some rabbis at this time would go out in public and they would talk and they would give a speech and uh, they would like have a little um, collecting bag and people would put money in it if it was a good speech, okay? And that's kind of like, I mean, you know, you go out somewhere and someone's playing guitar and they got a little guitar case you put money in or like someone now, nowadays, people paint themselves in silver and do this. <laughs> and you pay them for that because you were like, my day wasn't that great, but that, that, just, that just made it. So there we go. He's like, we don't, we, we don't want to give the appearance that, we, that this can be bought, that my love can be bought, that, that, um, that, that we're out for money. And when Jesus says not to take a bag, the word he uses can mean a beggar's collecting bag. So don't take a beggar's collecting bag and collect money. Jesus wants people to know his love is given freely. You don't get a miracle for buying a prayer blanket on TV for $19.99, Okay. <laughs> Okay, or you might, but you could have got it with the prayer blanket for free or two for one. Okay, and so, some people act sometimes like this is what the church is doing with, with tithes and offerings. I know Kevin Durant once said, and I like to look at the camera because Kevin Durant watches sometimes. Um, <laughs> once, 
and I wanted to know I disagree. Um, but so, and he said, I, I, you know, I like going to this church because they don't pass the plate and beg for money. And it's like, that's called tithes and offerings, Kevin. It's actually biblical. It's a command for the faithful. And if you don't understand it, then I know you haven't really read your Bible that much, Kevin. Okay, call me. We'll talk. Um, so anyway, so as they go out, um, they're to take no provisions for the trip. They're to rely solely on God. And often the way God provides, as many of you have probably seen and experienced, is through the hospitality of brothers and sisters in Christ. And as they go, they're going to be developing new brothers and sisters in Christ who will be hospitable to them. And that's, that's still a command. We are to take care of one another. We are to assist one another. It's part of the instructions that we are given for being a church in the New Testament. It's in the New Testament that we are to care for, care for one another in this way and be hospitable. They are to find a worthy person and stay at their house for the entirety of the time they're in that town. Notice the wording on that. We might see it as someone is worthy of staying at our house, right? You might like say, I'm going to invite people over for dinner. But like, there's people you think that are like maybe worthy and people who aren't worthy. You're not going to think of it in terms like that, right? But the, the way that this says, this isn't like um, worthy of an invite. Jesus says the people have to be worthy of these men of God staying at their house because it will bring blessing. The presence of God in a home brings blessing. In the Old Testament, and I'm not going to go into it because I'll probably preach on it one day in 10, 15 years, they were bringing the ark, in the Old Testament, they were bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, and something happened, someone died, made them afraid of it, so they left it at this guy's house instead of bringing it back to Jerusalem. Then that guy gets so blessed having the ark in his house, they say, we need to go get that and bring it back to Jerusalem. It's worth it. The, the God is in the house, the blessing is on the home, and that's what's happening here. He's saying, I, my presence is going with you. There's a blessing. So find someone who is worthy of, of you staying there. Okay, and that doesn't mean when it says worthy, it's talking about their heart, okay? Not financially worthy, not capable of, you know, pro providing the good things, right? That's why he says stay in one house the whole time, okay? Because there might be some temptations to level up, right? There might be some, some temptations to level, level up. This has happened to us a few times when we were on tour. People would always offer for us to stay at their house. We rarely did because whenever we did, it ended up being real weird, um, there were always really nice people, but then there, there are people you show and you're like, you have cardboard cutouts of a hundred different stars throughout your living room. This is, and by, I mean like movie stars. And you'd be like, um, but we stayed and we left our blessing there. Um, no, but sometimes like you go and stay at someone's house, someone offers you a, a place to stay and you're like, yes, we'll stay there. That's awesome. And then someone else comes and says, you can stay at my house. We've got a guest house with its own pool, Right? And an infinity pool, right? And we have, you know, and you're like, oh, may, well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go stay there now. I'm gonna go stay at that house, okay? And that Jesus is saying, don't do that. The people who were willing to share with you before they knew who you were, before they found out the import, your importance, and he, they, they shared their home with you out of the goodness of their heart. Don't go leveling up through town, going to like the nicer house and the nicer house, okay? Go looking for a better option. Okay, you go to one house and you stay there the entire time because they were the ones who chose to bless you. Okay, you stay with the one who had the heart to bless you and you bless them in return. 
But if no one in the town received them or would listen, they were to leave the town and shake the dust off their feet. And Jesus said it would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for that town in the final judgment. The similarity, why he's bringing up Sodom and Gomorrah, the similarity in this new town, whatever it is, and Sodom and Gomorrah, would be that they both rejected the messengers of God. Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels, and um, this town would be the disciples. This would be, I mean, it's just dropped in here, but this would be a bombshell to the Jews that are reading this, okay? And it would probably, maybe the disciples would take a little issue with this because Sodom and Gomorrah was made up of pagans. They were not people of God, okay? They were very sinful. Things they were doing were awful, more than just the things we read about. There was a lot of things happening, and we talked about those, what the other tribes were doing. Okay, these are pagans who turned away God. And Jesus is saying, my chosen people, the Jews, things will be worse for you for rejecting my messengers than they would be for these pagans. How, how are they to accept that? And this is kind of like, Jesus always said things that kind of alluded to that it was going to be opened up for everybody, but the Jews weren't going to take that very well of saying, whoa, 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 you're going to say these pagan people who were awful, who we know the story that you, you like burn the town to the ground, things will be worse for your own children, your chosen for doing the same exact thing. But that's, that's what he says. And the reason is, and if you don't know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was destroyed by fire and earthquake. And, um, but, they, they heard the, they, but this town heard the truth and turned it away. And Jesus is saying, and this applies to us now, it is better to have never heard the truth than to hear it and reject it. It is better to never have heard at all than to hear and reject. And this is where we are today, because we have all heard. So it is different for us. We've heard. We've been given an opportunity. And it, it, it would be better for us never to have heard than to hear the truth, hear what Jesus has done, and reject, reject him. And in, in some cases, even knowing him and following him and then rejecting him. And Jesus says, if a town does this, you are to shake the dust off your feet and leave that town. And this is one of the things that I think sometimes, because we get this idea of what God's love looks like, and it really looks more like um, a 21st century mother's love, where it's like, and I'm not saying everyone's like that, and it could be a father's love too, but now our idea of love is like, give them everything they want. Never say no. Do not discipline, right? That's, that's what everyone starts to think Jesus' love is like. Oh, Jesus, just like, like, just love your neighbor as yourself. I love them as myself. I would want to eat candy right at bedtime, so I'll give them candy right at bedtime, right? If you do that, you're an idiot. And everyone is going to hate your kid when they're an adult, okay? Um, and I'm not just talking about, but like, but the reason they would shake the dust off their feet was when pious Jews would leave Gentile cities, they would shake the dust off their feet to show their separation from Gentile practices. Like, I might have been there, but I, I wasn't doing what they're doing. And so if the disciples shook the dust of a Jewish town off their feet, it would show their separation from Jews who re rejected the Messiah. 
And this would be another thing that would kind of hit people weird, that Jews were shaking the dust off their feet of Jewish towns. And like I said, this sometimes is a verse we don't like because we can never imagine that God would do such a thing, that Jesus would say, if they don't listen, leave the town. But one, there, there, how many more people who might hear and accept won't hear because they've stayed in that place trying with people that have rejected him, okay? And we might think, oh, Jesus would never say that. But listen, guys, there is a heaven and there is a hell. There is a heaven and there is a hell. People make their own choices. And like I said, we always see God's love through this imperfect lens of our own society. We look at that one verse, love, love is yourself, and we, we give everyone everything they want. And, and there's no, no rules and, and, and no law, and we don't tell people no. And I'm telling you right now, in psych, I dealt with so many teen- teenagers who had become violent, and the parents couldn't control them, and they did not have psych issues. Some of them did, but most of them did not. They were just never disciplined, and then they got so big that they could overpower their parents, and they'd never been told no. Do not do that to your kids. That is not how God tells us to discipline our kids, okay? And it's not how we deal with people in society. Sometimes we have to say no. Sometimes there is discipline, okay? Um, And God says no. God says no in this. Um. God disciplines. There's heaven and there is hell. There will come a day. There will come a day when our choices will lead to an ultimate consequence. That will happen. There, there, we've taken this false idea of the love of God um, so far that there was even a book, man, ugh, you know when you get old and you're like, it was recently and you look it up, you're like, it was like 15 years ago. Ah. Um, that was popular that alluded to there being no hell. Everyone would go to heaven It's just that because people didn't know God and didn't want to be near God, it would seem like hell because they didn't want to worship God. And while I agree that some worship music is awful, and I wouldn't want to listen to it for all eternity, okay, um, there is a real hell. Jesus talks about it often. We're only in Matthew 10, and we've already heard a lot about hell. And it, it doesn't sound like something you would just prefer not to do, okay? That's not what hell is. And that's why we are to teach the children of God as well as children the way they are to go. We're to say no, we're to discipline, we're to, and we are to spread the gospel to the world. Which might seem like a contradiction, spreading the gospel to the world, um, of Jesus' first instruction to the disciples, which was, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any of the towns of the Samaritans. This is another one we might take issue with. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say not to go there? Why would Jesus say to withhold his love from from them, withhold his teachings from them, okay? And just in in case you're confused, Gentiles are all people who are not Jews. And Samaritans were a mixed breed of of Jews who were left behind um, in the dispersing of the Jews by Babylon and Persia. And they intermarried, they were instructed... Jews were instructed not to intermarry with Gentiles, and they did it anyway. And they began to kind of mix religions and kind of have some cult-like practices as well as worshiping God, and and they had disobeyed the instructions. So the Jews were like, you disobeyed God. You mixed. You've mixed religions, and so you're you're out. You're not Jewish anymore. They weren't allowed to come to the temple at all. But I think this is kind of funny when we think of this uh, Samaritan. What did they do? 
they took, they took what God had commanded and they took some things from it. And then they took some things from the world that they lived in, the culture they lived in, and took some things from it and mixed them together. A lot of Christians today are spiritual Samaritans. We take a little bit from what God says and then do exactly in accepting these things, we, we are disobeying. It's not like he leaves it open. We are disobeying some of the other commands that we don't like to take these. But most of the time when I'm talking to Christians, not here, of course, but you hear things that like, well, that's a mix of, uh, that's a mix of Christianity and Buddhism. That's a mix of Christianity and Hinduism, and they don't even know it. Like you, you're just, because the world spits out these terms and these ideas, and we mix it together into one thing. That's why we need to know the word of the Lord, so we aren't blending things and dumbing things down, and in doing so, being disobedient, okay? Um, so, we know later, even though Jesus says not to go to the Gentiles and Samaritans, we know that later, it is opened up for all peoples, and Peter has a vision where God tells him this. So we know this is a temporary command that Jesus gives, not to go to the Gentiles, not to go to the Samaritans, just uh, the people of God, though this is just a temporary command. So why did Jesus give this command? If it's going to be opened up later, why not just start from the beginning and say, hey, tell everyone. One, it fulfills prophecy. It's what God said would happen. And Psalm 118.20 says, This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. Talking about Jesus. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone whom the builders, the Jews, rejected. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Jesus references this later. We know this is prophecy because Jesus references this later in Matthew 21. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And the verse also, the verse, that verse in Matthew, Jesus says it will be given to other people, but the Jews would be given it first and they would reject him, though they were offered it first. So this command is in line with that prophecy. It, it is in line, not just with prophecy, but the word of the Lord. He's in obedience to the word of the Lord. Another reason he would give this command is it confines them to Galilee. It's far more effective to saturate one area than to try to spread the gospel. We've got 12 people. Send two way out there, two way out there in another country. There's so much time traveling, right? You tell, you tell one person, and then maybe they tell another. It's, it's going very slowly. You're not saturating, and you're not building a church. Even in this first command when he's sending people out, the purpose is to build a church, to get people in one area so that they can come together and support each other and encourage one another and become a church. If you go out there and get two people saved, who's going to encourage them? Who, how's that going to happen? How are they going to continue to walk in their faith? The, the point was to build a church. That's why you are not to witness when you're on vacation. You're too far away. You're too far away. Take a break, okay? I'm just kidding. That's not real. That was a joke. 
okay? But we can see even in Jesus' earliest plans, he's building the church, okay? But lastly, I think lastly, yes, they also did not have the heart yet to minister to the Gentiles and Samaritans. They would not be effective in ministering to the Gentiles and the Samaritans because they didn't have the heart that Jesus had for them. They had the heart for the lost sheep of Israel, their brothers and sisters, but they didn't yet have the heart for the Gentiles and Samaritans. In Luke 9, 51 through 56, an event happens, and this is after this. Is after this. So they're still not ready later. And this is as Jesus is, is getting ready to come back to Jerusalem for, um, to be crucified. And it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there in the Samaritan village did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and he rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. So see, you might be upset that Jesus said, if they don't listen, leave the town and wipe the dust off your feet. The disciples said, we're going to leave the town and burn it to the ground. Burn it to the ground. You won't listen? Fine. It would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than you. What I was reading when you said that, God, was to set them on fire, right? Because Sodom and Gomorrah was on fire. No, we missed, okay, we misheard that, right? They did not have the heart. They did not have the heart for these people. They didn't love those people. They didn't, they didn't accept them, so they want to call thunder down. And you know who's going to have to give them the power to do that? James and John. I mean, Jesus is going to have to give it to them. Like, can you be like, do they have the power to do that? No. They're basically like, Jesus. They don't say, Jesus, can you burn the town? Jesus, would you like to, would you like to give us the power to burn them to the ground? Because personally, I would love that, right? They don't have the love for these people that they need to minister to them. They don't love them. They don't love them. They will not be effective as they go out in the world. They can talk to them. They can tell them the gospel. They can say things like, I'm a Christian. They can say things like, you can come to my church. You can say things like, oh, no, I only listen to 88.3. Right? All these things. But without love, they're like clanging cymbals. Has anyone ever heard clanging cymbals? They're annoying. They're very annoying. And Jesus, I love that Jesus, because sometimes people are all like, man, don't you want to be a son of thunder? You know, I remember a guy came to me one time and was like, I just feel like God's telling me that we're going to be the sons of thunder. And I was like, I don't, I don't feel like we are. I don't know you, and I don't want to live, to the t- and live in the town that you live in to be a son of thunder with you. Um, but then I was like, so we're going to burn this place down or what? what what's the plan here? Kind of feel like Jesus being a little sarcastic because he called them sons of thunder from then on, right? If you don't care for the people that you're ministering to, you're not ministering to them. If you don't care for the world, you can't minister to them. If, if you feel nothing but hatred and loathing for the people in the world that don't know Jesus, you cannot minister to them. If you're going and holding a sign that's full of hatred 
and not talking to them or sharing the love of Jesus. Even though you might, on your sign, it might say things that are true. You're a clanging symbol. And just like the people in that town, you may be their last chance. We don't know what will happen to that person later in the day. I think we've all in our lives been surprised by someone being taken from our lives. We do not know if that opportunity will rise again. And we may be their last chance. Your encounter with someone on what may be a really bad day for you. A day where you're, you, you, maybe you would normally be full of love, but that particular day, you just weren't feeling it. People's lives and eternities hang in the balance. And so if we are to keep with the command of Jesus to share the gospel, to spread the word, we have to have his words in our hearts so that we have a love for these people that we can understand they're making mistakes, they don't know him. They're dressed like that because they don't know him. They do those things because they don't know him. They say those things because they don't know him. We need to have a desire desperately in our hearts for people to know him. Lord, I just pray. Lord, I just pray. We, pr- we say over and over again, Lord, have your way. Lord, change our hearts. Lord, change our minds. Lord, make us new. Lord, I just pray that that would really, really, truly be the desire of our hearts, Lord, that we would understand that that might mean loving people that we hate, that that might mean being nice to people that we normally aren't nice to, Lord, and and not just doing it because we've been called to do it, but Lord, I just pray that we feel it in our bones, that we can feel it in our bones, that every ounce of us just cries out, for them to know the living God, as you cry out to know them, Lord, that we, could just, that we could speak your words alone, your words alone, that your love alone would come out, Lord, that the body of Christ would raise up as examples, Lord, that we would rise up like the disciples, Lord. Uh, Lord, we're, if we're honest, we are a lot like the disciples, that we might not yet be ready to minister like you minister, Lord. And I just pray that you would change our hearts, that you would teach us your ways, Lord, that you would raise us up to be men and women of God who walk in holiness and righteousness and love, that we walk with the power and authority that you delegated to us, Lord, that we may lay hands on people and really hope that they can be healed, that they will be healed, Lord, and that we would pray for those who are outcasts from society, that we would reach out to those who are outcasts from society, Lord, that we would do as you did and you continue to do, and that our words will be your words, that they reach into the heart of man. Change our hearts, Lord. Change our hearts. Make us more like you. Make us more like you. Help us to love like you do, Lord, that we might fulfill your call on our lives. Help us to have patience towards each other as you bring us together as a church made up of all different kinds of people. And I, Lord, I just pray that as people come in, not just to this church, but to any church, as you begin to bring people, the outcasts, into churches, Lord, that you give the people in the church the hearts to reach out for them and make them feel at home. Just like you welcome us home, just like you welcome the prodigal son home, Lord. I just pray that we could be a welcoming church 
And I thank you, Lord, that you've welcomed each one of us with open arms, no matter what we've done. I thank you for your forgiveness and your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.